Hello. We are so glad that you could join us today. Our prayer is that as you listen to the word, you would take this time to draw nearer to God as an individual and as a family. God loves you so so much, and his desire is for you to get closer to him in this season through worship, through dwelling in his word and prayer. Well, Pastor Thomas led us so well in tackling this series of overcoming. And uh, Pastor Moulton, two weeks ago, took us through overcoming doubt. And last week, Pastor Lincoln was on the money on overcoming the urge to quit. But all these negative factors in a believer's life really stem from what we're going to expose today. The one we need to overcome. And we're going to look at overcoming the devil. And to do that, we're going to jump straight into it. We're going to look at the one who gave us the template for overcoming the devil, which is Jesus Christ himself. The Bible says this. It says that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered and he said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him along uh, into the holy city and had him stand at the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give his angels orders concerning you, and on their hands they will lift you up, so that you do not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him along a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I have given you, if you fall down and worship me. <laughs> then Jesus said, go away, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and began to serve him. You see, there's a pattern revealed by these few passages of Scripture. The first is this. We overcome the devil by the word. Jesus kept saying, it is written, it is written, it is written. You went to the author of the word and came under the cover of God our Father himself. Secondly, we overcome the flesh by walking in the spirit. <laughs> Jesus said, man shall not live on what's natural alone. Man shall not live on bread alone, but from every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Remember, it was the spirit that led him, and he continued to be led of the spirit. And it was the spirit that tended to him even after he overcame the devil. Thirdly, we overcome the world by our faith. You see, being worldly is not just a sin issue which is where most of us focus on, it is ultimately a worship issue. Romans 12 verses 1 to 2 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may be able to prove what is the will of God, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Sin is only an indicator of who you worship. It is the evidence of who you serve. 
Much has been made about sin. A lot has been missed that when we sin, which is the more important point, we're actually in the process of surrendering our worship. Sin is a battle of our daily lives. But if we focus on the battle and forget the warfare, we might lose out on the fact that the actual warfare is on the lifetime of our worship. Most of us are sin conscious, winning the battle but losing the war because the enemy has our minds fixed on the fruit of the world, giving us a taste of, of it and of worldly elements so that we develop an appetite of what is worldly and create an idol of it and end up worshipping him, worshipping the devil. This began all the way in the Garden of Eden. You all remember the story in the temptation of um, Eve. Maybe let's go there. Genesis 3 verses 1 to 6. The devil started this way. He started with a, with a suggestion. He started by planting a seed of doubt, as Pastor Moulton shared two weeks ago. He said, did God really say you should not eat of every tree in the garden? Then the woman said to the serpent, from the, tree, from the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the trees which are in the middle of the garden, God said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you'll die. The serpent said to the woman, you'll certainly not die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will become like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took some of the fruit and ate and gave to her husband also and he ate. This is the gateway and the tactic of the enemy. He exposes us to the fruit of worldliness. He wants to have us taste the fruit of worldliness. Not only to get us to sin, but ultimately to have our lifetime of worship given to him. Look at what happened in verse 22 and verse 23. Then the Lord said, Behold, the man has become like us, knowing good and evil. And now he might reach out his hand and take from the, also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to cultivate the land which he was taken from. When Adam and Eve sinned, they partook of a different worship. In that state, they could not partake of the kingdom because they had become worldly by the one they had put their faith in, the devil. When they believed him over God, they put their faith in him. When they chose to go by his word and not God's, they put their faith in him. And their belief in him was a gateway to worshipping him. It was a gateway to a lifetime that brought us to where we are today, where we are constantly fighting to keep our worship upward up to God. That state cannot coexist with God. That worldly state cannot coexist with God. It was that pride in the first place that got the devil kicked out of the, out of the presence of God because he wanted the worship that God that was supposed to be directed to God and God alone. So, 
whenever we partake of the fruit of the devil, we become like him. And that is the state that God says cannot live forever. You will not have a worldly state partake of life. Less worldliness, worldliness lives forever. The destiny of worldliness is death. The only way to reverse this kind of uh, this worldliness or this doom state that man is, 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 is that's destined for man is to backtrack and change what we believe and who we believe in. Is to go back and believe in God and act on him and act on his word. That is what faith is. That's why the Bible says we overcome the world by faith. In fact, 1 John 5, verse 5 says this, For whoever has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Hebrews 11, verse 6 says this, For without faith it is impossible to please God. For him that comes to God must believe that he is and is a reward of those that diligently seek him. The devil's mandate is to remove us from our place of worship toward God. He draws us into worldliness by the lure of conformity. If he cannot tempt you into it, you will use more drastic methods of threatening and intimidating you and eventually accusing you to get you into conformity. This is what happened to Jesus on the mountain. First, he tempted him with bread, as you all know. Then the threatening and the accusations came in. If you are the son of God do this you see it ended up ultimately with the devil offering him world but it had a price tag you partake of the world you fall down and worship me the devil went after and threatened jesus very calling on the earth he came to die to save the world but he offered him to live by the world. Think about that for a second. Unfortunately, this pattern has not changed. Many believers yield to the devil's temptations, to the threats, to the accusations, to the intimidations, to take shortcuts that threaten their very callings, that threaten their very heavenly uh, purposes in exchange with some conformity to the world and temporal gain. The devil's KRAs have not changed. They are to steal, kill, and destroy. And it is against God's people that he does this. It is because he desires to be worshipped as God was worshipped. Just as he did with Jesus at that, on that mountain where he says, here's the world in exchange for you worshipping me. Those trade-offs are still taking place right now. This is also typified in the book of Daniel. And this is where we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at the devil's tactics. And what are some of the antidotes to these tactics? They've not changed. They were the same in the Old Testament. They were the same in the New Testament. The Bible says these things that are written are written for our learning. So that we today may know how to live. Looking at the examples of those that have gone before. So nothing's changed. His tactics have not changed. He just colors them differently. The first tactic is temptation. The same one that he gave Jesus. If you open your Bibles with me to Daniel 1, we're going to read from verses 5 to 20. 
The Bible says this, the king also allotted to them daily rations from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank and ordered that they may be educated for three years, at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them were sons of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. To Daniel, he assigned the name Balthazar, and to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved, underline that word, Daniel resolved that he will not defile himself with the king's choice food or the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander and the officials. And the commander and the officials said to Daniel, I'm afraid for my lord the king who has allotted your food and your drink for why should he see your faces looking gout and in comparison to the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. But Daniel said to him, uh, said to the commander of the officials who had appointed over Daniel, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please put your servants to the test for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and put the to put them to the test for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, their appearance seemed better. They were uh, fatter than the youths and had been, who had been eating the king's choice foods. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice foods and wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. And as for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence and every kind of in every kind of literature and expertise, Daniel even understood all kinds of vision and dreams. Then at the end of the days, which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander and the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar the king and talked to them. And out of all of them, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So he entered them into the king's service. Wow, what an incredible incredible story you see the devil wants to trade us to trade our eternal destiny through temporal pleasures or what appeals to us temporary through the pleasures of the fresh natural worldly appetites man shall not live on bread alone is what jesus says he aims to defile us with what is worldly so that we become desensitized to what is spiritual most of us get caught up right there. Like Esau, we trade what is of eternal value. We trade what is our birthright. We trade that which is given to us by God for a temporal, for temporal, temporal pleasure or in a temporal state of desperation. What is it that you are trading that is eternal? What is it that you are trading that is of value? Because of a moment of desperation, because of a moment of hunger, because of a moment where the flesh screams, because of fear. Second Corinthians 4 verse 8 says this, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but we fix our eyes on what is unseen. For what is 
seen is temporal, but what is unseen is eternal. So the antidote for temptation is this, resolve. The principle, live by conviction, not by preference. Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego were convicted. They resolved not to defile themselves. They were convicted on the inside, not only defile themselves, not only give into the worldly system, but to obey God. The first thing we must do is live by conviction. Without resolve and conviction, they would have not been able to withstand the pressure to eat the king's food. For three years, these guys ate vegetables and a miracle happened. They ate vegetables and got fatter. Well, it's not just fatter. They got fitter, they looked better. But it wasn't just in their natural bodies. The Bible says they excelled in wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and they were 10 times better. Eventually it led Daniel, Mishik, Shadrach and Abednego to a place where they were presented before the king. The king noticed that there was something different about these men. There was something different about these boys that separated them from the others. I don't even know whether he was told the story of what they ate over the three years because the official was afraid to reveal that to the king. But the king could clearly see that there was something visibly different about these young men. Why? It is because our conviction becomes evident in how we live, how we carry ourselves, how we present ourselves before kings. And this led them to influence. It led them to be promoted amongst, they were 10 times better. It led them to a point where Daniel, Meshach and Abednego had influence in the kingdom of Babylon had influence in the world. Here's what conviction and resolve will do for you. Conviction and resolve precede influence. They'll get you into a place where you have influence to begin to turn things around, bring light into a dark world. Tactic number two, if the devil cannot have you by tempting you, he will try threatening and intimidating you. Turn with me to Daniel 3, verses 1 to 6. Listen to what happened to these three boys. In fact, now there's, there's something else going on here. Kind of what happens now. You see, if, they cannot, uh, if the enemy cannot have you with your group of friends while you're united, you'll try to separate you. So here we see his tactic, tactics change. This uh, next tactic is aimed directly at uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel's not in the picture, but he'll come in the next one. It says from Daniel 3, from verses 1 to 6, it says, Nebuchadnezzar the king made a statue of gold, and uh, the height of which was 60 cubits, and width was 6 cubits. He set it on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar the king also sent word to assemble the satraps, the perfects, the, and the governors and the counselors, the chief treasurers, judges, the magistrates, and all the administrators of the provinces, to come to dedicate the statue that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. The satraps, the perfects, the governors, the counselors, the chiefs, the treasurers, all these funny posts, and all these administrators and provincials and officials and government, what, 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 uh, for the dedication of the statue of Nebuchadnezzar the king. 
had set up. They stood before the statue and Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, To you the command is given, the peoples, the nations, the populations, the, and all the languages, that the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lure, uh, trigon, uh, psalmetry, bagpipe, and all kinds of musical instrument, you are to fall down and worship the golden statue that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be thrown into the middle of the furnace of the blazing fire. Like I said before, if the devil cannot have you by tempting you, you'll try more drastic methods of threatening and intimidating you. He will want you to play in his field, fear which is what Pastor Tom spoke about, us overcoming fear, a few weeks ago. Then listen to what happened in verse 12. He says, Then certain Jews whom have been appointed over the administration uh, of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not obey your, uh, or serve your gods, nor do they worship the golden statue which you have set up. Listen to the king's rage and response when this was reported. This is where the threatening and the intimidation comes in. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be thrown into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can rescue you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's response was emphatic. They replied, O King Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need of an answer to give you concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods, nor worship the golden statue that you have set up. Wow! When it comes to worship, our stance is immediate. It's non-negotiable. It is non-compromising. No thank you. We will not bow down to another. The Bible says, you shall have no other God but me. And you shall not make, your, make yourself an idol in the heavens or on the earth. These are the first two commandments of the Bible. And they all have to do with worship. That's why worship is so important. The warfare is not in sin. The warfare is around our worship. You see, you and I are made in the image and likeness of God and we're to worship him only. Anything that exalts itself above God becomes an idol. And eventually an idol demands worship. You see, this is a worship issue. The warfare is around our worship. The antidote for that is given by these young men's example. They were uncompromising. So here's your antidote number two. Refuse to bow. Resist the devil. Refuse to bow. Resist the devil. The principle there is, whatever you yield to gets stronger. Whatever you resist gets weaker. When the enemy threatens and intimidates, he wants you to yield and worship him. Bow down to him. Refuse. Whatever you yield to gets stronger. Whatever you resist gets weaker. The Bible says in James 4 verse 7, Submit yourselves to God. 
Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We can only resist the devil to the level that we submit ourselves to God. We overcome the devil by God's word, nothing more. The more we use the standard of the word, and uh, uh, engulf ourselves, devote ourselves to the word, the more we can resist the devil and his tactics. The more we can respond by saying as Jesus did, it is written, it is written, it is written. You see, God responds to his word. He doesn't respond to your many cries. He doesn't respond to our manipulation. He, doesn't res he, he responds to his word. So when we call on the name of God without using the word, <laughs> we become like the sons of Sceva. They called on the name of Jesus, but they did not have a relationship with God. Neither did they have a relationship with him through his word. And you all know what the fate of the sons of Sceva was. The Bible says in Isaiah 59, when the enemy comes at us like a flood, the Spirit of God will raise up a standard. What is that standard? It is the standard of his word. It is the standard that can defeat the devil. It is the standard of what he says, what he's covenanted himself in the promises of his word for us. The entrance of his word, the Bible says, brings light and life. And the darkness cannot comprehend it. So whatever the dark situation you face, the word is the one that brings light. The word is the one that brings life. The word is what the enemy can not comprehend. It is through the word that our faith comes. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You know, I want to share with you an illustration of this. When a baby is born, their responses are driven by mainly what they see and what they feel, touch, taste. But as you know, and every parent here, the baby begins to be trained in what they hear. So you say to a baby, Dada, and you are the father, and you point to yourself. Eventually, the baby is not just moved by what they see, but or what they feel, or what they sense, but they're moved by what they hear, and they're trained by what they hear. They begin to associate the word Dada with their father, and everything that goes with their father. So eventually, they begin to say Dada, and then we celebrate, we're happy. They say Dada, and say, oh yes, and the more they say it, the more they repeat it, the more they associate the word Dada, which eventually becomes Dad, which eventually becomes Baba or Father or whatever it is, with the confidence that they have with what a father should be. They provide security, they provide um, provision, they provide uh, comfort, they provide love, they provide a relationship. When they say that word, that word, the word Father, the word Baba, the word Dad, carries the meaning of the character of the person they are referring to. It's the same thing with our faith. When we hear God's word, when we hear it said to us, we begin and begin to speak it and begin to own it. We begin to associate the word. The more we say it, the more articulate we become, and we begin to associate it with the confidence and the character of the person it describes. Without that word, we cannot have faith. Without that word, 
we cannot become what the word is. In fact, we begin to speak as a child begins to speak like their dad. They begin to imitate who they hear. Eventually, people will say to them, Ah, oh, that one is like their father. What a high compliment. It's the same thing that when they say to us as believers, by the word, that they can say, you are like your father. You see, we, the two cannot coexist. You're either in the kingdom of the father of lights or in the kingdom of the father of lies. You're either the son of the father of lights, that's God's kingdom, or you're the son of the father of lies. The two do not intermix. The choice is ours. So, yield to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Refuse to bow down, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Tactic number three is accusation and we find this in Daniel 6. Now Daniel's facing this on his own like I mentioned before. Daniel 6 verses 4 to 9. Here's what the Bible says. Then the commissioners and the serb tribes began to find grounds to, of accusation against Daniel regarding the government affairs. But they could not find no ground of accusational evidence of corruption because he was trustworthy and no neg negligence or corruption was found in him. Then these men said, we will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him regarding his God. Then the commissioners and the satraps came into agreement to the king and spoke to him, King Darius, long live you forever. All the commissioners of the kingdom and the perfects and the satraps, the uh, counselors and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish the statute to enforce the injunction that anyone who offers prayers to any other god besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it will not be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. Thereupon, King Darius signed the document. Uh, that is the injunction. Now, when Daniel learned the document was signed, he entered into his house and in his roof chamber, uh, he had windows open towards Jerusalem. He continued kneeling on, the, on his knees three times a day, praying and offering praise before God, just as he had previously done. You see, if the devil cannot tempt us, if he cannot have us by more drastic methods of threatening and intimidating us, he will accuse us. He will accuse the brethren. That's what the Bible calls it. It calls him the accuser of the brethren. Remember, there is no friendship between the world and God. In fact, the Bible says this in James 4 uh, verse 9. You adulterous generation. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be friends with the world becomes enemies of God. The world does not like us. The world does because they don't like God. They don't love God and they hate anything that's associated with God. So the quicker you and I accept that the world is going to accuse us, that the world is not going to love us, that the world hates us, is the quicker that we will find God's way of escape when we encounter worldliness. 
John 16 verse 33 says this. Jesus said, I tell you these things that you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Antidote number three to accusation. The solution is remain standing. Remain standing. The principle is this. If you stand on nothing, you will fall for everything. You and I are called to continue in spite of the circumstances in our fear and reverence of the Lord alone. The fear of God should be exalted over the fear of man. The fear of man is a snare. Don't go with the tide. Don't conform. Don't do what everyone else is doing. Be led of the Spirit. Remain standing. In fact, from Daniel's example, we see that remaining, the, the posture of remaining standing is on our knees. We remain standing on our knees. The Bible says that Daniel opened the window so they could all see. He wasn't hiding whom he served. He wasn't doing it in secret. Got on his knees and prayed three times a day as he usually does. Standing is kneeling for the believer. What to continue like Daniel did in our reverence, in our fear of the Lord, in our worship of the Lord alone. From where shall our help come from? We've looked to the mountains. No, not from there. Our help comes from the Lord alone. Standing also is moving forward. <laughs> Sounds crazy. Standing for the believer is moving forward. You see, most of us feel hemmed in, especially in these times. We feel trapped. We feel like the children of Israel. They had Pharaoh coming from behind them and they had the Red Sea in front of them. They were hemmed in. The Bible says that they cried out to God. Here's how Moses answered them. He says, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord will bring upon you today. These Egyptians that you see today, you'll see no more. But listen to God's response. God says, why are you crying out to me? Tell them to move forward. <laughs> Moses says, stand still, be still and know that I'm God. Stand firm. God says in heaven, your standing still is registered as move forward. When we cry out to God, his response is very simple. Why are you crying out to me? I've given you my word. Do what the word says. I've given you my promise that I'm taking you out of bondage and bringing you into a land of promise. It's already done. I am faithful to my word. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forevermore as you heard Pastor Moulton say. He does not change. So if he says it is in his word, if he says we're, by his stripes we're healed, we're healed. If he says that he'll deliver us from the diseases of Egypt, we're delivered from the diseases of Egypt. If he says that I'll I desire that you prosper and I in health, even as your soul prospers, you will prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. If he says that you have everything, he'll give you everything according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, you have what the word says. The problem is, Heaven's given us a green light that says move forward when you stand on his promises, when you stand in your places, God, when you resist the devil. 
Heaven says, that is moving forward. That's the green light. But most of us have a red light in heaven because we're moving by the green lights of the world. When we move by the green lights of the world, heaven has a red light. It says, stop. You have no permission to move here. Get them out of the garden of Eden. Get them out of our presence. They've eaten of a fruit that is foreign. They cannot touch the fruit of life. When we continue to be worldly, when we continue to eat of the fruit of the world, when we continue to succumb to temptation, threatening, anything that leads us to fear, when we respond to manipulation, domination, and control, when we move by fear and not by faith, the Bible says that it is sin. Ultimately, we, we surrender our worship. And we move by the green lights of the world and have accidents because we have a red light in heaven. God wants you to stand, the Bible says, having done all to stand. Stand therefore. Put on the full armor of God, knowing that our weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty in pulling down strongholds. Put the full armor of God on. Stand and be firm. Now, I don't know where you are today. I don't know what it is that you're facing, but I do know that as believers, we've been under immense pressure. Some have faced temptations, found their, their physical needs, the needs of the flesh are screaming so loudly that they want to be satisfied instantly. God says, move by the Spirit. Resolve to live by conviction, not by preference. Some are threatened. They have their job threats. They have uh, uh, their uh, uh, livelihoods threatened. They have all sorts of threats. They have intimidation going on. God says, hey, this is not about the situation. This is about your worship. It's about your very life. He says, hey, refuse to bow and resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Some are accused. Hey, let's see you go to church. Let's see you worship this God of yours. Oh man, we can all relate to that. Let's see you not obey the government. Hey, accusation. God says stand. And having done all to stand, Stand. So today, I don't know where you may be, where you find yourself, but as we close out this overcoming series, I want to remind all of us that the devil is a defeated foe. He was defeated 2,000 years ago. You and I just need to walk in the victory that was secured to us by Christ, to walk by overcoming the worldly elements by faith. It starts off with a relationship with him. You cannot call on the name of God without a relationship with him. So if you're here today and you do not have a relationship with God, or you've not accepted his son, Jesus Christ, today is your opportunity, and I want to give you that opportunity. If you die today and you're not sure that you'd make it to heaven, there's only one way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I want to give you an opportunity accept Jesus Christ into your life. Or maybe 
you're watching this broadcast and you are born again, you've given your life to Jesus Christ, but somehow the cares of the world and the stuff we've talked about, the enemy has choked out that very life from you. I want you to know the Bible calls you more than an overcomer and you can always come back. So I'm going to pray right now and I'd like you to join me in this prayer. So say these words after me. Say, Father, today I believe and thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus came into the world to die for me, to die for my sins. I believe that on the third day you raised him from the dead and that he lives. Jesus, I ask you right now to come and leave, live in my heart. I give you my life. I confess you as my Lord and Savior. I ask you to forgive, my, forgive me of my sins and cleanse me of all unrighteousness in your precious name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, we have telephone lines right at the bottom of the screen. There's someone at the end of that line that wants to speak with you, pray with you, and let you know what your decision is. So you may know how to walk victoriously in this life. Walk the life, walk and live the life of an overcomer, more than an overcomer defeating our adversary, the devil. For the rest of us, keep standing. Your standing is in your kneeling. Your standing is in your moving forward. Keep standing. You are more than an overcomer in Christ Jesus. God bless you all. Thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that you were blessed and that God will continue to transform your life in this season. If you have a testimony or need prayer and counseling, please send a WhatsApp or a call me to plus 263-784-303900 or plus 263-717-459999. We want to hear from you and we're here for you and are ready to listen to you, to pray for you, and to celebrate with you. So thank you. We love you, and stay safe.